keeping an eternal perspective as we travel through life. That's next on Abounding Grace. You got to be careful that when you're living for this world to establish yourself and to create a career, to raise a family, to, to have the resources, to perhaps have a home or a car, whatever it has, you can't forget the eternal. The eternal comes first. How will this career help you further the gospel? How, which school should you go to? Well, I, you know, I just want to go to this school because I like this about it. Or that. But what is it that God has for you that that school or that education or that place to live or where... All of those types of things, how will they impact eternity? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You I bet you can think of some people who are going through a really hard time right now. Maybe it's a friend who's lost a loved one or a family member who was just diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe that someone is you. Afflictions and struggles are a part of life to be sure. With that said, in Christ, we have a glorious future to look forward to in heaven. Pastor Ed Taylor believes keeping an eternal mindset is a key to living victoriously and making it through the suffering we're bound to face. We join him today in 2 Corinthians 5 on Abounding Grace. Chapter 4 was a chapter of perspective from Paul. He used different contrasts. He contrasted God the creator with God of this age. He contrasted in chapter 4 blinded unbelievers with believers who can now see. He contrasted earthen vessels with glorious treasure that's within the earthen vessel. And at the end of chapter 4, verse 17, really pick up with me in verse 16, because this is another example, unfortunately, of where a chapter break really is unfortunate. Uh, the chapter breaks, you'll recall, have been added later. They're not in the original text in the Greek. In the Greek language, there's no punctuation and there's no breakage of chapters like we have. So this letter to the Corinthians would have been read straight through. Um, there, I appreciate the verses and the chapter breaks because it helps us to remember and find things. But really, the chapter is going to read all the way through uh, and not have the break here. So let's pick up at verse 16. We'll grab the last part of perspective that we saw in our previous study. And then we'll pick up in chapter 5 with Paul continuing. He says, therefore, verse 16, chapter 4, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, there's the contrast, the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, again another contrast, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know... Whenever you see the word for, another way of translating that word or, or another synonym for that word is because. So that he's giving a cause here, a reason. These things that aren't seen, the, the contrast between we're looking at things that are seen, the things that are not seen, uh, the things that are seen are temporary. Because we know, these things are there because we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, 
We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Paul now brings us into this place in verse 1. The key phrase is, we know. This is a certainty that we have as believers of our future. When we die, we have an eternal home awaiting us. There are just certain things we know about the future, things that we can, we can hold fast to, that can bring comfort and encouragement to us as we face trials here and now. Because their life on earth is filled with trials and tribulations. Some of you experience double and triple the amount of trials that other people experience, but it, it's common. So in the midst of the mortality and the difficulties and the weaknesses and the groanings, we know. And he uses that picture there, doesn't he? The house or the tent. He uses it a tent to compare our physically, physical bodies to. And it's a good picture, isn't it? Our tents, tent, our bodies are temporary just like tents. They're temporary. They're not designed to live in forever. Tents weren't determined to... You might have to be in a tent temporarily, but tents aren't designed to be permanent residences, just like our bodies here on earth. When he says destroyed there in verse 1, it speaks of a breaking down or a taking down the tent and moving on. And it's matched so quickly with that new house. In verse 1, he's contrasting here and there, here and there. Let me give you a cross-reference. Turn over to John chapter 14. And let's listen to our Savior describe very similarly what Paul is describing here in 2 Corinthians. So turn backwards. John chapter 14. Our new bodies be made perfectly to abide in the new environment of heaven. And here in chapter 1, or chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. The translation would be better instead of mansions. We get this picture of, you know, large houses with columns. And a better translation for our understanding is dwelling place. Dwelling place or rooms. A new abiding place in the presence of Jesus. We have these dwelling places and if it wasn't so I would have told you and I go and prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also and where I go you know and the way you know there is a resurrection to come the Bible promises where the salvation isn't just When you speak of being saved, you speak of salvation, it isn't just speaking of the salvation of the spirit and the soul, but also in salvation of the body, of all of you, that triune being that you are, body, soul, and spirit. We have a new, glorious body to come. Isn't that good news for you? Are you looking forward to a new body? One without the aches and the pains and the weariness and... I don't know exactly, I didn't really determine at what age it started, but the age, there is an age where you just start to groan. You groan about all sorts of things as your body winds down. Your body's winding down. Now, for you that are younger, 
you don't believe that. <laughs> you just think it's going to be that way forever. You know, think, you get hurt and things heal real fast and you can run real fast and you have a lot of hair and uh, <laughs> it's not going to be that way forever. Everything is winding down and through the winding down there's a groaning. That groaning is not just for our present day pain, but for, for us as believers there's that sense of wanting what's next. There's always that tension in our lives to live in the here and now and yet still have a desire for then, to have a heart. We're citizens now of the kingdom here on earth. We're citizens of the earth, but we're also citizens of heaven. And right now, he says it in verse 2, we groan. And in verse 4, he says it again, we groan. To the Romans, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, he says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. And our bodies with its aches and its pains and its diseases and its losses and its sorrows. Things are getting harder and harder as we grow older. We have this hope. We're looking for this house, this new body not made with hands, eternal. And so while we wait, we groan. We want to be clothed with that habitation, verse uh, 2, that is from heaven. I want you to know in verse 2 that it is a... An instruction and also a permission for you to desire heaven. It's okay to have a heavenly hope. It's okay and strongly encouraged to think on eternal things, to have an eternal mindset. We saw in our study recently with the leadership qualities in Nehemiah's life where part of that, that one component at the end that really helped give perspective on all of his leadership was an eternal mindset. Uh, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, a thought of where your treasure is. Why, why is it so important to lay up our treasures in heaven, Jesus said? Because where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And if everything is here and now, and if you have hope only in your body and in your, and how good you are in athletics and how smart you are, and, and you know, generally when you look in the mirror, you're happy with what you see, and that's okay, and you're like, yeah, look at me, and look how good I have it, that's not going to last. But your heart is going to be where your treasure is, where your time is. I know we speak of, and Jesus was speaking of specifically in that passage of our money and our resources, and that's certainly true. Where our money is, it seems we've spent a lot of attention following our money, whether it's to bills or to savings or the stock market or career or school. There, there seems to be a lot of time to establish what's important here on earth. And, and that's fine. That's fine. I think it's from the Lord to be faithful with the gifts and talents. But you've you got to be careful that when you're living for this world to establish yourself and to create a career, to raise a family, Family, to, to have the resources to perhaps have a home or a car, whatever it has, you can't forget the eternal. The eternal comes first. How will this career help you further the gospel? How, which school should you go to? Well, I, you know, I just want to go to this school because I like this about it. Or that. But what is it that God has for you that that school or that education or that place to live or where all of those types of things, how will they impact eternity? And I'm afraid that some of you, as you're listening to me right now, you're like, oh, I've never even thought that way. That hasn't even been. I mean, I love Jesus, and, and I'm, I'm in his word daily, but I never really thought that where I go to school really matters to him. Or what do I do with an extra few bucks in my pocket? I mean, I'm already a giver, Ed. I mean, I give my tithes and offerings, and, and, you know, what's in my pocket is after what I've given, and yet what's in your pocket still belongs to the Lord. And who knows how he may have you to use it, but... 
You'll never know unless you begin to have an eternal heart of, what do you want me to do with my stuff, Lord? Because wherever my stuff is, that seems to be what I pay attention to. That seems to be what gets my mind. That seems to be what I'm concerned about. What captures my, my thoughts that are, you know, just my time to think, it seems to be directed to where my treasure is. And Paul's saying, in all of this, we're not losing heart. I know our, he said earlier, our outward man is perishing. But inwardly, spiritually, I'm growing day by day. I know outwardly I've got this light affliction, but it's for a far more eternal weight of glory. We're back in chapter 4, verse 17. He's going, he's going to the outward, the inward, the outward, the inward, the here, the eternal, the here, the eternal. We don't look at the things that are seen. That's not all. It's very easy. We were talking about this today among the staff, and I was talking to various people today about the news recently. The news is getting more discouraging, more discouraging, more discouraging, more discouraging. And as many pastors before me have shared, as well as I have too, that while we've had a season, I believe, as Christians here in the United States, very um, absent of serious persecution, you could pretty much kiss that goodbye. It's been predicted. I can go back to various Bible studies that I've taught here in Colorado for the last 13 years. Warning of things coming down. Warning of things that are going to get worse. Warning how sin and debauchery are going to take root and that Christians are going to be made fun of and, and minimalized and marginalized and even to the point, like in other countries, severely, severely persecuted. We're very, very close to that. The news is so discouraging what our government is saying is okay. It's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that in those last days, in, in, in people that don't have a mindset toward the purity and honesty and righteousness of God are going to call good evil and evil good. It's not an illustration to look for in the future. It happened at midnight today. Where our, our own state, our fine state that's filled with wonderful fine people has placed their stamp of approval on something that's clearly, clearly a sin in the face of God. And as the homosexuality of our society, and by the way, I don't, I, I don't highlight homosexuality in a sense that it's worse than any other sexual sin. Uh, all sexual sins in the same category. The Bible, you have to be clear as somebody might be listening and go, oh, you know, and, and saying what they need to say that uh, there's some self-righteous pastor. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the government doesn't say that all sin is equal. Maybe one day we will, we'll see that. But there are certain sins that have become popular in our culture to try to minimize and marginalize what is good and right and wholesome. And that's our state. And so as you stand up, maybe one day, maybe right now, they're making a law that what I'm saying is against the law. And they're going to come in and throw me in jail. And then we'll have a brand new Calvary Aurora prison ministry. You know, that'll be what it is. <laughs> that's just what happens. I have nothing against those that are caught up in sin. I love those that are sin. That was me. I was sharing a testimony a little bit about what God is doing here at Calvary in my own heart at the welcome gathering that we had this last Sunday for new people that are new to the church. And, and, and to describe my life before I was saved is just, it's shocking, it's scandalous, the kind of life that I lived. That God would allow me to 
hear the gospel. He would love me in my scandalous, sinful life enough to send a friend of mine into my life to invite me to a gathering like this where some guy would stand there and tell me how much in the midst of my sin, which he didn't need to tell me what my sin was. I knew what it was. I knew what I was living with. I carried the weight and burden of the things that I did to others and the consequences of my decisions and the things that I did see inside of a jail. And I, 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 Nobody needed to tell me that. What somebody needed to tell me is that what I was doing was wrong and God was ready to forgive. He was ready to rescue me and my wife and my son. He was ready to pour upon me blessings when I didn't deserve them. He was there to show me how to live my life how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a dad, how to navigate in a society where I could be a blessing to others instead of taking advantage of every single person I ever met. I was in an environment where God would allow someone like me to hear the gospel and someone like me could respond to the gospel and someone like me could be born again. And I remember having this thought when we began to pray about leaving and planning a church is that the kind of fellowship family I want to be a part of is where a place where someone like me could come and hear the gospel and be welcome. You, you're, you are welcome at the feet of Jesus. Even in the midst of your horrible debauchery of sin, Jesus loves you by his grace. But true love always speaks the truth. It's not loving for me not to tell you the truth. That doesn't demonstrate love. To say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, that you're right. That's okay. That's, that's all right. I know what the Bible says, but that is not really what the Bible says. That's not love. It wouldn't be love for you to be very concerned about your health to be concerned about something that's going on in your body and for you to make that appointment and finally show up for the time with your doctor, to sit there for a consultation and an examination of all the years of knowledge and study that that doctor and that nurse went through to examine the difficulties with your body, to run tests, and then the technicians come back with the information of the tests, and the tests reveal bad news. What you were feeling and going through is actually something your body was trying to tell you to pay attention to. And, and the doctor and the nurse, they call you in for the second appointment to give you the results of your tests. And they come and they look at it and they see and they know and conclude to say, this is, this is really bad news for patient. It would not be loving for that doctor to look at everything on the bad news and say, you know, everything's fine. Appreciate you coming in. I don't know that you would appreciate a doctor doing that. If that was bad news, it would be hard to receive. But you want to hear what you need to hear so that they can begin the treatment to start remove the, removing the disease or the calamity from within your body. Our nation needs to hear the truth, not in judgmental ways. It's in the sense of Jesus came and he preached repentance. Repent of your sins. The kingdom of God is at hand. And it really doesn't matter what's going on in the government in that sense. You just need to be ready for it. I don't want you to be surprised by it. I don't want you to be surprised when you start to see society even turn in a larger way against those that call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be upset by it. Use it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. That's what happened in the first century. Because of the persecution in Jerusalem, the gospel took off. You know how the gospel took off? By believers being on fire, running for their lives. And then landing in a new place and having enough time to breathe and go, you know what? Do you know who G? They don't know if they're going to die. They don't know if that was the end of the day. They don't know if they're going to get caught. They just, they land in a new city. <sighs> okay, hold on. <sighs> Repent of your sins because Jesus is coming. What? 
and then they run off to the next city. That's what persecution does. Persecution has never weakened the church. It's always made it stronger. You know what, you know what has weakened the church as comfort and ease? Well, the days of comfort and ease are long gone. And if you don't believe me, you'll go, oh, you pastor, Bible-thumping, Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone pastor, I'm not going to listen to you. Just turn the news on and give me a report of what's going on in our own country, which we're a little bit behind the rest of the world. God has been gracious to our country for many, many years. We're a little bit behind of what's going on all throughout Europe already. What is happening, obviously, in the Middle East, where there's not just an abandonment of the true God, but a true hatred toward the true God. It, we're a little bit behind, and, and I, just, I see what the, what, what the last days in Revelation with the church in, in Philadelphia, this is what I see. I see the church, he told the church in Philadelphia, you have a little strength, remember, a little strength. He didn't say you guys were the strongest, most prosperous. You had every tool, every resource. He said, you guys in the, and I, and I believe that, that Church of Philadelphia, that's the church that we all want to be, the church of the open door, man, what God's doing. But remember, it's a church of little strength. And I, I just want you prepared. Each time you read, you read the newspaper or you read it you know, on the web or you're watching the news, that what you're seeing is prophecy being fulfilled. And just because it's not bad right now or it couldn't, it's not worse, don't misinterpret that as approval of God. Interpret it as patience of God is for, long, is for unto salvation. That's what we're experiencing right now. And as you see this in the context of Paul, he understood that whatever he was seeing here, these things that which are seen, what we were watching, what we were, the news, I have nothing against whatsoever men and women that are caught up in sin. But because of a couple of decisions, that could be you and me again. We don't think too high. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not thinking that I'm above any kind of weird, bad situation now that I have a walk with the Lord. Just a couple of decisions, I could be worse than I was because now I'd be sinning against knowledge, not just ignorance. Like, like Paul, remember when Paul described his past, he said, I did all these things in ignorance. If he was to repeat all that again after he knows and has that, ex that experience of being born again, now it's going to be worse. He's going to bring on all kinds of judgment upon himself. So when you watch the news, it would be easy then to curse the darkness. But I don't know about you, that doesn't really do anything. But turning on the light of the gospel, loving those people that are closest to us, making sure that in our lives we are recognizing people first without approving sin. If sin was a barrier from my buddy Jack to invite me to church, I had no hope of ever being invited to church. There wasn't a breath that I took that wasn't filled with some vile sin. And if I wasn't breathing sin, I was thinking it. And if I wasn't thinking it, I was doing it or all of the above. But you know, God doesn't deal with us that way. He knows us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. And it's so easy to be self-deceived, to have blinders on. We can't look at the things that are seen. It will cause us to hopelessness. As if, as if God was going to save this earth. The Bible teaches very clearly that this earth is going to pass away. It's winding down, not getting better. So we don't look at the things that are seen back in verse 18, but the things that are not seen. We've been in the book of 2 Corinthians today on Abounding Grace. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the epistle. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at calvaryco.church. Just do a search for today's scripture reference. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. Well, this month we picked out a resource we believe will really be helpful to your life. It's called Contented in All Things Peace. Many are asking, is this all there is to life? They're not happy, and contentment seems out of reach. There is a way to find peace and contentment in all things. And Pastor Jeff Guype reveals that to us in contentment. So if you've been struggling in this area and really want to experience contentment, this is a must-read. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Join us for our next study in 2 Corinthians. That's on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.